If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. This is Mind Pump. All right, in today's episode, we talk about when it's best to lift light. In other words, when you'll get best results by cutting the weight and the load down that you're using for your exercises. We actually picked seven reasons when it's good to go light. Now, this episode is brought to you by Pathwater. Now, Pathwater, purified water that comes in aluminum reusable water bottle containers. Very, very eco-friendly, great for the environment. The water tastes amazing, stays cold longer than those plastic bottles. Of course, better for the environment. I mentioned that, but it's tremendous. And fully recyclable and fully refillable. You can actually use one of the water bottles afterwards as a normal water bottle for yourself and refill it and use it all the time. Now, if you're interested in getting some of the water and checking them out, head over to drinkpath.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-P-A-T-H. And use the code MINDPUMP for 10% off your entire purchase. Also, right now, we've combined MAPS Anabolic with the No BS six-pack formula. We've bundled them together and placed them on tremendous discounts. So you save over $100. If you're interested in using both of those programs to develop an incredible-looking body, head over to MAPSOctober.com. Why don't we talk about why I don't see Justin ever using more than 15-pound dumbbells? Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> could, hey, can man. We, can we talk about I'm that? still getting actually? them gains that you're jealous of. I uh, mean, I, that's what I, I think that's why we should, we should talk about this yeah. is because you obviously look fantastic and you yeah. don't lift any Something's more than 15 working. pounds. Yeah. No, you know what? All joking aside, that's actually a good topic uh, because there's definitely not just a time and a place for lifting light, but it's superior in some cases to lift with lightweight, where heavyweight would actually impede your progress or your results. So I do think this is a really good topic to talk about. You know, it's funny, I brought up a statistic uh, on a, another podcast, and I, I want to bring it up again here. Uh, there was this, like, this study that was done on weightlifting injuries. Mm -hmm. This is the one I told you guys about. And Oh, about if men or women? Who oh, gets it's hilarious. So this, for people who don't know, they followed men and women who worked out for a year with weights and the injury rate difference between men and women was comical. Was yeah. 0.6% of women had a weightlifting injury, 4.5% of men. So it was like a like four or 5% <laughs> times different. discrepancy there. Yeah. Did you guys prefer training men or women? Did you have a preference? Like as far, I know you were an advanced uh, age guy. You talk about that all the time that you liked older clients, but did you prefer sex? I think there was like advantages to either. Like I enjoyed training women just because uh, they were a little bit more receptive towards uh, the educational part of it and like slowing down and, you know, and then I didn't run into a lot of problems about like, you know, form, technique, and, um, you know, the application, the exercise versus with a guy, it was like, I, all the time, I just was having to check them on, like, I know you can do more, but we need yeah. to perfect this movement. We need to get, you know, the technique of it down. First. I hated training guys. Really? Yeah, I didn't like training guys. In fact, we had, there was a while back on in Mind Pump, right, just a couple of years ago, and uh, I was telling Katrina, I was like, you know, I really, I was, we were, I was like in save mode and trying to hustle and a couple other, you know, things that I could do to make some extra money on the side. I was like, you know what, maybe I'll train a client or two in the morning time before mind pump and we work and stuff. 
and uh, we have a, a a guy friend, a mutual friend of Katrina and I, who's 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 got money and can afford my hourly rate, and is would come at the time I would want, like would be flexible and ideal. And Katrina's like, oh, I'll set him up. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want to train him. She's like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't you want to train him? You guys are friends. You like him? I said, no, I hate training guys. I said, it has to be a girl. And right away, she thinks, you know, like, why does it have to be a girl? Why is it? It's like, no, women are just way better to train. Because to your point you're making, Justin, is like, men are so fucking stubborn yeah. that half the time they lie. They don't tell them, well, you tell them, go do this, go they're do that. They're not going to tell you they're in pain. Yeah, they're, they're not going to tell you they're in pain. Them. They're going to they're gonna push heavy weight when they shouldn't push heavy weight. They're going to they're gonna say they're doing all these things. They're not like women just, if I tell a female client, do this, like I swear they, they're just better at following things to a T, which makes my job so much easier to measure and calibrate, okay, are we heading down the right track? Versus when I'd get guys, you know, he would come in. And by the way, I have trained him on the side for fun here and there. It Come in and be like, hey, so did we do X, Y, and Z? Oh, you know, yeah. But last night, you know, buddies and I, we went out, we got yeah. fucked yeah. up, you know. It was a crazy <laughs> night. It's just like, bro, how do you expect me to calibrate your programming and diet if you interrupt it every fifth day yeah. with 12 beers? Like, I can't, you're, you're killing me well, here. Well, I think, I think generally speaking, right, um, I would see that with men, it was harder that, for them or harder to get them to do certain things like train lighter and watch four and technique i guess generally speaking with women sometimes right. i'd have to convince them to go heavy or right. to increase their calories um that's generally speaking but on an individual basis i mean mm -hmm. you know, it could be very different i had really good experiences with and bad experiences with both uh men and women but yeah generally speaking guys yeah that's you'll get that ego right that yeah that's the politically correct way to no it's say true that, it's also true <laughs> yeah, okay well look one of my one of my best clients of all time was doug he's a guy yeah and he was a, he was a great client. well no i mean i stand by that there's always an exception to the rule you know yeah. there's definitely i've had male clients that i loved and were amazing one of my first best clients I ever had alfredo engineer guy and he was an engineer so mm -hmm. you guys have trained engineers before they're more like that they're detail oriented they want to know everything we're yeah. doing why we're doing it they want to document it themselves so that that does really and you well. You can convince them to do crazy stuff. <laughs> that was my fault. That was like my favorite part. Yeah, yeah let's do squat curl yeah. presses. Yeah. But the, to out. the weight point, and that's kind of what made me think about this was I I love that I could tell a female client of mine like this is the weight I want you at, and she would perform it. And even if she knew she could do a little bit more, if that's what I was telling her to do, she would stick to the program. Where it was always hard for me with a guy if he thinks he can do more weight, he always wants to do more weight, mm -hmm. and there's. There's times when just because you can do more weight, I don't want you to do more weight. There's air, there's points in the training program where I'm I'm doing that not because I think you can't lift any more weight, because I have a specific adaptation that I'm trying to get to with you. And if I need you to be in a lighter weight in order to accomplish that and us yeah. stretching beyond well, we're that. We're trying to good. hone in on the right dose. And that's like our job as a trainer is to find that balance where you are going to still progress forward and you uh you know sometimes that means um you know lightening the load a bit uh so that way you know it allows your body to fully recover and that way we can adapt further to then build strength and kind of uh you know move in in, in a direction going going on yeah load is just one of the components of your programming and it's appropriate to go heavy and effective in some cases, in other cases, it just isn't. It's just yeah. not, a, and it just won't. Not only will it not get you better results, but it'll actually reduce the effectiveness of what you're training for. So, there are cases, and we're going to go through uh, seven of them, 
when training light isn't just, oh, it's not just, you know, a, an alternative way of training or a way to change up the signal, but rather for more often than not, in the seven cases we're going to give, it's the it's where you should probably it's go. the most appropriate well, way to go. I mean, the first one we listed was correctional and rehab. Absolutely. And that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about is, you know, here I'm trying to get uh, one of my male clients to back off the way and like really pay attention to the detail of the movement because we're trying to target a very specific area because I'm trying to fix something versus like just prove to me that you could lift more weight. That was, this is one of the challenges. Never had a problem with a female client. If I tell one of my female clients, this is what we're trying to accomplish, stay light, stay controlled. This is what we're trying to do. Where the, my guys would always come back and be like, oh yeah, you know, I did that, but I went up to well. It's especially important when you're addressing uh, some uh, recruitment pattern that is obviously off. Like they yes. are, they are recruiting muscles uh, just by the way that they've done it over the years, and they've hardwired this movement pattern that is just not ideal, and it's it's created problems. It's created unnecessary stress and instability, and and aggravated the joints. And so now to go, you know, deep dive into that and show them like there's another operating system we need to apply here we have to you know bring the load back substantially so we could actually even perform it correctly yeah but it, see i think the confusion is people here you got to go light with correctional or rehab exercises and they think you have to go light because it hurts to go heavy or you have to go right, light because right, it's not safe right. to go heavy mm. now that there's truth to that yes but there's something that's even deeper which is when i'm doing correctional exercise you don't even have to be injured i just noticed that there's a movement pattern issue and a movement pattern issue means that your movement pattern that is not optimal is your default movement pattern. That means it's the one that you're best at. So if I increase the load, your movement pattern is going to automatically switch to the one that you're, you're best at. Now, I'm not, it's, it might not be the ideal one. It's just the one that you're best at. And so you're going to go there as soon as I go heavy. Like, you know, if you're really, really good at walking in high heels, and that's all you'll do all day long. Oh, and I am. Yeah, you you probably can walk faster in high heels than you can flat, even though walking with your foot flat is more of an ideal movement pattern. You have to kind of relearn how to do it because as soon as you speed up, you default to this pattern that you've already learned. So if I'm teaching someone, for example, how to row without their shoulders shrugging, and that's how they've always rowed and they've gotten strong that way, the second I go heavy, the second the load is high, they're going to go to, to, to the movement pattern that allows them to move the most weight. So correctional exercise always has to be light with the load, hard with the connection. And in that case in particular, heavy weight is almost never. Well, and sometimes it's not just the actual correctional movement. I'll give you an example. So in a very, very common one. So my, uh, my teachers that ride on whiteboards, my my drivers, truck drivers, taxi drivers, like painters, painter, anybody who uses one one arm that's mm -hmm. forward, a hairstylist, mm -hmm. you know, if they and they what they would have is this on that side, their dominant side that they use, this just slightly rolled sh forward shoulder, more on that side than let's say the left mm -hmm. side, and then not only do I need to go light and do correctional work to help them engage and retract and depress and get that shoulder in optimal position. But I also am going to lighten the load on things like a bench press, because what I would see is this is I get that client under and we start off with, you know, minimal load and they start pressing and then, yeah, first five reps, I've taught them the mechanics. They got great mm -hmm. form, but then they get to like six or seven. And, and as soon as it starts to get a little challenging, That's the, it. that the right reach. side, now they still can get 
the all the way to twelve reps. You're moving the weight. But but what ends up happening is the, the those last five reps that that shoulder rolls out of position again, and then the body cheats the weight up because it that's how it knows it's the dominant yeah. way for it and, to move. And the worst part is you end up strengthening the bad movement pattern. Right. Yeah. You end up making it even stronger, making it harder to correct in the first place. Correctional exercise should almost always be light because the new form, the new technique, the new recruitment pattern that you're training is one that's new to you. And you can't train in the new pattern with hard, heavy load. Like this is why so many people injure themselves running. It's not because humans aren't, you know, we didn't evolve to run. We actually run exceptionally well. It's just that we don't have the skill of it anymore. We stop running when we're 10. So people go outside to run and they don't practice running. They go run until they're tired. Well, you know, if you if I'm trying to practice perfect running and I don't have the skill, the second I get tired, my form is out the window. A lot my, of people lift weights this way too. Correct, right. A lot of people lift weights for the sweat and the burn, thinking that that thing that translates into a good workout. When this is what's happening, the minute that your body starts to fatigue, it goes to its default pattern. And since most of us have these poor default patterns. Mm -hmm. Then you just keep reinforcing that by adding load. So here's an area where light weight is is necessary and superior than heavy weight. Maybe not from a calorie burn or total amount of muscle being built, but for total optimal performance and longevity and gaining muscle over a or long for, period for of time. For the purpose of correction. Yeah. We're trying to correct the movement pattern. So to put it differently, right? If you have a chain and there's one link that's weak on it, the most that that chain can support is what the weak link that's can the support. Limitation. So if I have a movement pattern issue, I am training heavy according to that movement pattern issue. It's as heavy as that movement pattern can allow. Not as hard or as heavy as my old movement pattern can allow. That's what we mean by light. So it's still challenging, challenging with perfect form. You go heavy, now it's out the window. Yes, you can move the weight, but now you're moving And so what does that look like? Take it back to the example I was giving with the chest press. So this same person who I was talking about at rep seven, they start to roll forward. Yep. They could technically add 10 more pounds and, and, still get, and still keep getting the reps out. But that's how I decide how much weight they can do is how much weight can you do and keep the shoulder in that position for all 10 reps right. the entire mm -hmm. time. The minute I load the bar heavy enough that the form slightly starts to deviate at all, we got to go back the other mm -hmm. direction. And that, and it's not where do I fit the muscle fatigue and I no longer can push the weight anymore. It's where does my form break down and mm -hmm. that's how you gauge how heavy I should, I should you be know, on the You bar. know where you see something like this, a good example, you might see this with someone who's like a really, really good deadlifter, maybe doesn't have good ankle mobility and they're squatting heavy and then they start to do the hips come up first and then the back extension. Oh up at right. the top because as they start to get heavy where well, they're really good at that ex at hip extension aspect mm -hmm. not so much at the squatting aspect and so their body defaults to that one and then if you keep going that way again what you don't want to do is strengthen a bad movement pattern because you're just you're adding cement to it you're adding concrete to it and you're just making it much worse so correctional exercise should almost always be light because the limiting factor is your movement pattern and that movement pattern gets challenged very easily with lightweight and heavyweight, it just overcomes it, and then you go back to your old movement pattern. That's right. The next one is when you're training for the pump. Now, this isn't to say that heavy training doesn't give you a pump, because heavy training can definitely give mm -hmm. you a pump. But if you're training specifically for what's known as sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, sarcoplasm is the all of the non-muscle fiber structures in muscle, uh, which actually incidentally makes up most of the size of your muscle, also contributes to energy production, of course, size and hydration and blood flow. So it's very important. Not it's not 
It's also important, just like muscle fibers are. If you're training for that, you want to be able to focus on the muscle, maintain tension on the muscles, mm -hmm. and really squeeze it and keep that tension there. And that is easier when you're going light. It's and harder when you're going heavy. your positioning and your posture with that too. Because I know even the little slight nuances of angles and all these things are a consideration uh, when you're training with this type of a style and to be able to maintain, you know, the mechanics of it and, and, and stay in that stabilized position, you know, uh, this is where lighter weight does play a bit of an advantage, uh, you know, with this style of training. Yeah. Well, this is where you see those exercises that I, I think we uh, kind of harp on is like the glute kickbacks or something like that. This is where I see tremendous value, right? I have a client. Um, she says to me, Adam, I squat, I deadlift, I do all these movements. I cannot feel it in my butt at all. So that she's, she has a, a poor mind muscle connection to the glutes because she's doing the exercises that are supposed to be for glutes, but she doesn't feel it. Okay. So what I'm going to go do is do something like a floor bridge or hip thrust, or I'm going to do like the dog peas or kickbacks, all these little movements, but I'm going to go extremely light and have her think about the glutes, why she does that and get a nice pump in them so that she then goes over to do the squats and her butt is already yeah. pumped and she's already worked on that connection. So she gets more out of the squat for her glutes than she would had she not done that. Well, this is where bodybuilders uh, really shine. Um, you know, I've, I've heard bodybuilders say, Rather than adding weight to the bar, make the weight feel heavier yeah. with your technique and your form and focus on the squeeze and the pump. And you can definitely do this. I mean, I can make 200 pounds feel like 300 pounds on a squat mm -hmm. by squeezing and maintaining tension and slowing my form down and squeezing at the top and pausing at the bottom. I can do all that with lighter weight. It doesn't have to just be certain exercises. You could do this one compound lifts. I've done this with deadlifts. Mm -hmm. Deadlifts, which a lot of people are like, this doesn't isolate anything. It's super compound or whatever. And you know, I get some of that. But I've done it with deadlifts where I squeeze my lats and I go light and I'm coming up to the top and I'm squeezing hard and I'm maintaining tension all the way down. And I'll get a lat pump yeah. from doing a deadlift that way. If I want to get a lat pump from a deadlift, I don't go heavy. I go light and focus on the squeeze. And that's where, you know, going light really shines. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, obviously we're focusing a little bit more on like single joints. So we're, we're trying to isolate certain uh, uh, muscles involved. Um, but the the thing about it is, um, man, I totally forgot what I was going to say. I've done that a really long time. Uh, but no, I was going to say it was like, so the contraction part. So you have uh, the concentric, you have the isometrics, you have the eccentric. So, you know, a lot of these like uh, compound lifts, like it, it, in terms of strength training, you're focused primarily on that concentric yeah. portion. And so yeah. it's like really ripping the weight and then uh, coming down pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. so, you know, with this style of training, um, we're, we're, we're also focusing on those other muscle contractions, which now builds up that overall muscle tension, uh, which makes it a lot more challenging, difficult. You can make it really challenging by those three components uh, with light weight. No, that's a great example. Like you want to get a massive pump is, you know, choose a way you can, you that's really light and you can move really slow and do a four to six second eccentric portion oh, of yeah. the exercise and watch how much blood yep. gets pumped into there and watch how easy it is for you to direct where you're trying to focus on. Because mm -hmm. it's so light, it's very easy for you to focus on a specific yeah, area. Yeah, you're not just worried about moving the weight. Yeah, and because it's so light, you can slow it down for four or five, maybe even six seconds on the eccentric portion of the exercise. Where if it's at all mildly heavy or heavy at all, you're not going to be able to slow the rep down like that. And so there's tremendous benefit to the the pump and being 
being able to focus on the eccentric portion. That was one of my favorite things. And I actually wasn't trying to highlight so much the pump when I do that. This would be me just trying to get someone to go four seconds on a negative. I've talked about this on the show mm -hmm. all the time. Great for muscle building. Yeah, it's incredible for muscle building. In fact, it's one of the most important portions of the exercise for muscle building, yet very few people follow the ideal protocol for hypertrophy, which mm -hmm. is a four-second negative. And you go in the gym and you don't see anybody doing that. And that's because everybody's always pushing the limits on weight. Mm -hmm. You're always trying. Everybody wants metric. to look. Yeah, they care about looking strong more than they care about getting the most out of their workout. Because what they'll have to do on that bench press, if they want to get a four-second negative like you're talking about, you might have to drop 50 pounds on the bar. And it's you know it doesn't look cool if you're a dude and you yep. want to be saying you're doing 225 and you're going to drop down to one plate. You By know? the way, going yeah. light uh, for the pump, it's not like just coming down five or 10 pounds. Like literally take your weight in half and then see if you can make it feel as heavy as the weight was before by slowing down your reps and maybe doing some higher reps and squeezing at the top. Literally cut it in half Watch what happens to the pump. You I had so I just did this right. So we did an episode what maybe a month ago. When did we do the the German volume training one? It was oh, about yeah, a month, that, right? About uh, a month. Yeah. yeah. So anytime we have an episode where we talk about something like I haven't done in a long time, it always inspires me to go. Oh, it's been a while since I've done like mm -hmm. this. And so I did ten by ten with chest. Mm -hmm. I had to drop down to thirty five yeah. on each side. And it was just, you know, because that just blew my mind because I can rep yeah, 220, I can get volume. 225 for 10 reps, right. but with the rest periods and for 10 sets, and if I was really focused, and then what I wanted to do was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go light, I'm right. going to really focus on the negative portion, slow it down, get a nice pump, I don't need to train really heavy right now. And if it, I, I think it was like the fourth set, I realized really quick that by the 10th, I'm not going to be able to finish this with mm -hmm. good form, especially if I'm going slow. So I had to drop down to 35 plates on each side. How which, was your pump? Uh, incredible. Yeah. And it was an incredible workout. I was more than enough sore from it afterwards. Felt amazing. But I also know, too, this is, you know, 40-year-old, older, wiser Adam that, boy, if I was the 20-year-old me in the gym working out as a trainer and my buddies and everybody, it would take a lot. You know, my ego would get in the way yes. of what's best for my body at the time, and I would want to pile on the weight right. when I know better. Right, you know? and higher reps too. They tend to give you a better pump, and of course, you got to go light when you're going higher reps. Uh, so it's very appropriate when you're training specifically for the pump. Now, the next one we kind of talked about a little bit, which is when you want to isolate. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean single joint exercises, although those are the ones that are best known for isolating. You can isolate specific muscles with compound lifts if you go light and focus on what you're supposed to feel. Like I can definitely do a heavy overhead press and I can also do a light overhead press, but really feel it in my delts. And it feels like a different exercise. And the weight difference is tremendous. Literally, if I'm going light on an overhead press and I'm really just trying to focus on the delts and get a pump in the delts and isolate the delts, I'm like a hundred pounds on the bar. If I'm going heavy, it's closer to 170 pounds on the bar. So it's a big difference. So it's not just isolation exercises. You can do this with compound lifts as well by going light and, and focusing on the action of the muscle you're looking for. For example, if I'm doing a squat and I want my glutes to really squeeze, I'm focusing on my hips, the extension that's happening with my hips. If I want to focus on my quads, I'm focusing on knee extension and squeezing my quads at the mm -hmm. top. So two different focuses mentally – two different feels, 
if I'm going heavy, I can't do that because when I'm going heavy, it's not about got to feel my quads, got to feel my glutes. It's like move the weight. Much harder to maintain that mind muscle connection. Yes. Yeah, you can do that. You can highlight certain muscles and squeeze and have control like that. And you can do, produce that intrinsically. And I think mm -hmm. it's best, obviously, to do that with with lighter weight because then you can focus still and it's not uh, you're not defaulting back to your old patterns where you, I just need to move the weight up. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that, you guys know, I, rear delts are like one of my favorite things to train yeah. um and I've, of course when i was focused on that during competing days i was always looking for creative ways to target or hit it different and uh seated row seated row if you were to ask somebody what 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 is that primarily for they're going to tell you your your rhomboids your traps your lats those are all your right. main muscles i would use it for rear delts by simply lightening the load flaring my elbows a tiny bit out, yep. letting myself roll and protract the shoulders forward and keep them in that forward position. Crazy rear delt. Now I have an unbelievable, mostly rear delt mm -hmm. exercise, very little lat, traps, and rhomboid mm -hmm. movement. And it, to the average untrained eye, they would walk by and be like, oh, he's doing a back exercise. It's like, no, I was doing that for my shoulders. And you can do that when you understand mechanics and you lighten the load and you focus on a specific area. You can take a movement that is primarily used for something completely different and change it to target an area that you really want to focus on. Right. Now, the next point I think is a very important one. And I communicate this one personally a lot to general population. When I'm talking to the average person, not a fitness fanatic, somebody who's starting resistance training, who wants to reap some of the benefits, but really has no interest in going super crazy with it, maybe wants to do two or three days a week, I love to tell them to practice lifts rather than treat lifts as a workout. So rather than going to the gym to, to hammer your chest or your quads or your shoulders, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to practice squatting until you get really good at it, and you're going to practice pressing, you're going to practice rowing. When you're practicing a lift, you're treating it like a skill, right? So I'm in here, I'm squatting, and what I'm trying to do is just get better at the skill of squatting. My positioning, my upper back, my core stability, where are my knees, how are my ankles and my feet active, how are my hips, where's my hand position, and I'm practicing the technique. If I go heavy, the first thing to go out the window is the, the, the form. The first thing to go out the window is my technique, and then I'm training the wrong skill. So yeah. if you're trying to practice lifts, you got to go light. Uh, and this is like what we said with the correctional exercise. You got to go light because your default pattern is, is wrong. It's just funny that I haven't, I didn't put this together right away. Like it was something that was uh, very obvious to me in terms of how I trained for sports and how I uh, made sure that I maintained certain skills and movements uh, that would apply when I'm in a game situation versus like when I'm in the gym and I'm going through these lifts, uh, you know, it used to just be about how much you could put up and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and like how hard I could go uh, in that short amount of time versus treating it just like I would at getting good at something. Yeah. And, and just to get good at something, you have to repeatedly do it, not just every now and then you have to do it repeatedly. And so to be able to maintain and pull that off, I mean, you see the best strength athletes in the world do this and like we should learn something from that. Obviously they figured it out. It's Dude. just, just drilling this and practicing constantly with low to moderate intensity uh, really just it, it just forms and, and fashions this uh, the skill set uh, that you can then you know get really good at. Dude, I'm so glad you said that because strength is a skill. I'm so glad you said the best strength athletes because I went the beginner route. I went the general population route. But this is also very applicable to the person who just wants to really take it to the next level. 
Olympic lifters, right? That more science is applied to Olympic weightlifting resistance training than any other form of resistance training. It's been the most funded. It's been around for the longest. It's an Olympic sport. Countries around the world spend time and energy and money on maximizing performance. And how do Olympic lifters lift? Sub-maximal loads most of the time. They're Most of the time, they're going light and just practicing, 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 practicing. When do they go heavy? When it's time to compete. And then their form and skill is so good, the weights that they lift based off their body weight, you won't find a sport that has a greater discrepancy between body weight and weight lifted. It's insane. And it comes from the fact that they have such perfect skill and technique and strength definitely is a skill. Definitely. Well, I think, I don't remember what study it was. I don't know if you remember, Sal, uh, that you shared on here that I think just highlights that so well. And it was talking about the uh, amount that a Olympic lifter, the the capacity that they could get yes. out of a lift. Like, and I think it was like in the 90 percentile or something like the that. Amount, the amount, like you all have a max capacity, but your CNS only allows you to, you know, generate so much because it's fear of injury but when you practice over and over again, you're able to train your body to maximize its output. Right. Olympic lifters are Yeah, everybody's open. had this example, right, where you did something like we've told stories about being dads and hearing the kids screaming and you leap yeah. up the stairs. Like The thing that's crazy about that is that I bet you if it was a normal day and I stood you by stairs and I asked you to move up the stairs at the same speed and rate, you couldn't do it. But because you hijacked that because of the fear, then you yep. were able to do that. So, there, so the point of me sharing that is that your body has this amazing capacity and a, a capability to move a lot more weight than what you do. And the average con person who lit weight trains is probably only working at like 50% of what they're capable of. The only per example that we really have of people that move at their highest capacity are Olympic lifters. And what do they do? They spend 90% of their time moving lightweight, lots of times, really good, really good form controlled and practicing the skill of lift, lifting so that when they do decide to get after it and go heavy, they get the most yeah. out, of, out of that load. A little while ago, there was a squat everyday program that got kind of viral online and people were like, oh my God, yeah. my squat went up 50 pounds. And I, But what they what people didn't realize is if you looked at it, it was heavy lifting once a week, maybe. The rest of it was essentially what we're talking about. You know when I really realized that strength was a skill? Going to work with my dad as a kid with all of these blue collar workers mm -hmm. who, you know, I'm a, I'm 16 years old. I've been lifting weights for two years. I'm full of testosterone and energy. And if you took my muscles off my body and, and, <laughs> and, and looked at them under a microscope in a lab and tested them and compared them to the 50 and 60 year old men who were, you know, nailing wood and, you know, hauling two by fours and that stuff, my muscles would have looked stronger, healthier, superior. But we're out there mixing cement, carrying buckets, doing that they practice all the time. And I'm exhausted. My hands are fatigued. Everything's cramping up. And these guys are whistling while they're doing this kind of work. You're because inefficient with your energy. Yes, they've practiced so much yeah. that they became very good at it. Mm -hmm. So there's tremendous benefit in practicing with your skill of working out or lifting. But the best, the only way to do this really, because practice, what's the key of practice is to do it often, right? You can't do it often if you go heavy. You have to do it light in order to practice often and reap those benefits. And that's when going light is, uh, you know, is really appropriate with that. The next one is kind of similar. And this is when you just want to add more frequency to your training. This was the key to the trigger sessions that I put in MAPS Anabolic. Triggers, because with MAPS Anabolic, if you go with the more advanced version of it, because there's two versions when you buy the program, one gives you two heavy, what are called foundational workouts a week. The other option gives you three heavy foundational workouts a week. And you're working the full body all three of those days. So the whole body's getting hit three days a week. 
but I threw in trigger sessions so that you could hit the whole body five, six, seven days a week, right? But how's that possible? The only way it's possible is if the weight is really light and the intensity is really low. Does lightweight and low intensity send a muscle building signal? It does. A small one, mm -hmm. but it still does. And the best part is it doesn't impede your recovery. In fact, this is the best part. Speeds it up. Lightweight speeds up your recovery. If you don't believe me, next time you get really sore on a body part, I don't care what body part it is, go to the gym and do like four sets of super lightweight of an exercise that targets that body part. Just stretch and squeeze, keep the intensity level go light. And tell me how you feel afterwards. This was a hard lesson for me to learn. And I think that I would I bet that more than half the audience struggles with this, whether they admit it or not. And that's, you know, we, we've, if you've listened to Mind Pump long enough, you've heard us refer to the studies that talk about frequency and, and the benefits of training a muscle two to three times a week. And that seems to be superior mm. to most all programming, right? Is to be able to hit up muscle two to three times a week. That's what most of the research says. Now, the problem with that and the way that I think I read that as a, as a young 20-year-old trainer was, oh, more. More of I was training it once a week. Now I do it two or three times a week. The same way though, with the same intensity, <laughs> you know, and trying to push and go to failure and train as hard as I could because thinking that more is better. And it, the study and the research says do it more often and it's better. And so I'm going to apply the same way I trained on Monday on Wednesday and Friday now, and wham, I should get more right. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. And I think that's the hard part about teaching somebody about frequency is that. Yes, hitting a muscle group two to three times a week is superior than to training it one if and only if you know how to adjust for intensity. And one of the ways of obviously adjusting, the easiest way to adjust for intensity would be to back off the load. But it's a mind fuck because, you know, if I was bench pressing on Monday mm -hmm. and I was working with 225 and now it's Wednesday and I'm bench pressing again and I'm only working 135, I feel like, oh, I'm not really doing much. I'm, I'm yeah, not, why am I wasting my time? Yeah, why am I wasting my time? I did so much more on that. And you have this desire to want to push to those weights yeah. again, but your body will not respond the same way. And so this is another example of you know where lighter weight is going to be superior. Yeah, where I was challenged most with this was I thought that why waste my time going light? All I'm going to do is impede my recovery. All I'm going to do is slow my recovery down. What mm -hmm. I didn't realize was that movement makes recovery happen faster. Right. Literally. The, the blood flow, uh, you know, it moves oxygen. It, it helps to, you know, give the type of like building blocks and nutrients and things to the cells for them to fully recover and then regenerate. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a vital process of, I mean, between that and sleep. I mean, those two things are like some of the biggest components for recovery and recovery is really what moves you forward. Yeah. Uh, it, it's great to have the, um, you, the insult in terms of like going in and, uh, lifting weights and, and, and getting that kind of stimulus. But now we want to reap the reward of it. And the reward comes from the recovery. Yes. And in recovery typically happens simultaneously with adaptation. So adaptation would be the building, right? Recovery is the healing. But just because you're recovering doesn't mean you're actually building. It just might mean that you're healing. No adaptations can occur. So mm -hmm. to give an example, like you could hit a muscle really hard on Monday. It, like let's say you work out your legs really hard on Monday and then you're bedridden from from then till the next Monday. So I hammer my legs on Monday. Now I'm gonna lay in bed. I'm not gonna move. People are gonna bring me water and food and I'm just gonna lay in bed till next Monday. And now I'm fully recovered. I'm gonna be weaker. Yeah. I'm going to have less muscle on Monday. I might have healed, but I didn't adapt. In fact, my body adapted in the opposite direction. 
this is why this is one of the kind of reasons why active recovery is so incredible. It encourages adaptation and it helps with recovery. This I can't stress this enough. Literally, if you have a sore muscle that you overtrain, one of the best things you could do is stretch it and work it very lightly. And I mean very lightly, like low intensity, just move it through full range of motion. You will speed up the recovery process and, and induce even better adaptations as well, a result. Well, on top of that, in terms of what you know, you sort of found out with the rubber bands uh, being one of the uh, sort of tools you can use it that, that applies the least amount of damage yes. in, in terms of getting you that kind of uh, contraction out of the muscle and blood flow. But, you know, it's it's less damaging in that, you know, the, the recovery of it uh, doesn't quite entail as much. Yes. Now, the next one is for when you're doing a deload. Now, deloads, I'm happy to say now, are has become a, a relatively known concept now in the fitness space. It wasn't before, but now people are understanding that it's a good idea to throw in a week or two after a training block where I'm going light and I'm going easy. And the challenge with it, with it in the past was, well, I'm, I'm doing a deload. That means I'm not progressing, right? I'm not going to progress over this next week or two. You know, it's funny. Yeah, how, many actually, how many times did you deload and then come back and actually get stronger? Yeah. Studies actually support it now. Yeah. Studies will actually show now that some of the best strength gains and muscle gains come during that deload period. Now, it's not because you're doing nothing. You're still doing something similar yeah. to what we just talked about. You're still moving, but you're actually allowing the body to adapt and build. This is a very important part uh, of training. I remember experiencing this as a kid, so fanatical about training, couldn't miss a workout. Everything was super intense. I thought that was the best thing to do. Then I'd go on a, on a, on a camping trip with my family for five days, right? And I got nothing. I'm out in the woods. And so what am I going to do? I'm doing these light exercises. I don't have weights, so I'm doing push-ups and maybe a couple pull-ups. Not much because I don't have equipment. And I'm dread. Oh, man, I'm going to go back to the backyard and lift weights. And I'm going to be so weak. This is going to suck. Uh, and then I go back and be like, oh, my God, I just hit a PR. Like, what's going on? And I never put that together, that it was the deload aspect that really You know, it's, uh, it's always uh, – I know that I, I think I brought this up when we were making the notes for this. And it's – I'm. I'm always very careful how I talk about deload weeks because it really depends on my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, someone who's always in a deload. Yeah, to be to be <laughs> honest, like uh, I use deload weeks very rarely for my average clientele, mm. and that's because the, one of the biggest hurdles so the overreaching ones. Well, yeah, it, the, the, one of the biggest hurdles for the average, you know, general population person that would hire a, a personal trainer is consistency is just can i keep this person actually training uh three times a week for three months i mean right. and believe it or not a very small percentage actually most people will miss yeah, a, a most couple people, weeks at least exactly most people naturally you know miss and deload <laughs> without scheduling it but occasionally you get that client and most certainly in the fitness space you see this and probably more mind pump listeners than average because most of these people are seeking to learn more about fitness. Most of the people listening to the show are probably working out. That person who knows how to stretch, how to push, how to be consistent, this is where there's tremendous value. So if you just if you've just been hammering it for the last three months consistently and you haven't missed a workout, that's an amazing accomplishment. But a lot of times if you're if you're experiencing a plateau, you may be in that place where you just need a deload week. You need mm-hmm. to back off and go. And again, it doesn't mean you need to 
don't go to the gym and not work out. It just means, hey, I'm going to work at 50% of the load on all of my exercises next week and really back off. And many times what you'll see, and this is how you always know, this is a great test for everyone to try this, is everyone should just do that for a week, right? So if you th even think that you might be this person who needs to Yeah, you're to not going to lose anything, by yeah, the way. Yeah, just do it for a week. And when you know that that was what your body needed was you come back stronger. Mm -hmm. If you don't come back stronger, maybe you come back weaker, you don't notice a big difference. Ah, maybe it wasn't a big deal for you. But certainly if you take a week of deloading and dropping your weight by 50% and then you go or doing like all suspension or all body weight type yeah. of exercises and then go back to your routine and you come back stronger, that is your sign that that is exactly what your body yeah, needs. You know, my sign was was my nagging aches and pains <laughs> disappeared. Yeah, that's another. I example. had like I had like this kind of hip like issue. It wasn't major. It was just kind of there and this elbow <laughs> pain. I remember, remember, I'd complain about. It. Like, I don't know what the hell's wrong. It's like weird. I'm getting older and I'm blaming it on everything, yeah. but you know, correct training. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know what the hell's going on. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do unilateral training for a few weeks and I'm gonna go light. Uh, and my goal with the unilateral training wasn't necessarily the aches and pains. It was for symmetry and, and balance in my body. And I did it. And then I remember coming in here going, hey, you guys will never believe this. Yeah. Aches and pains are gone. Of course, uh, that's obvious. Uh, but, you know, when you're a trainer, you obviously things are so much more obvious for other people mm -hmm. uh, than for yourself. But, yeah, deloading, one of the hallmarks of an effective deload is to literally go light. Now, the last point is this, is that some exercises are just meant to, to go light. They just lend themselves well to go light. And when you go heavy on them, and you can go heavy on them, you can go heavy on any exercise you want, but there definitely are some exercises where if you go heavy, they tend to suck. They tend to lose their value. I'll give you one example, and we can go through some that we all think of, but here's one example. Laterals. Okay? I'm working my shoulders. I'm trying to do laterals. Can you go heavy with laterals? Hell yeah. I can go out there right now and do some sloppy ass, you know, partially clean looking laterals with 50 to 60 pound dumbbells. And I can make it look crazy and get a good sweat and whatever. And everybody's gonna be like, wow, that's, that's awesome. It'd be cool for videos. Yeah. How much weight do I typically use on laterals? I almost never go above 20, 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. Never. Because that exercise is so much more effective when I slow it down and really work the side delt of the shoulder. When, my, when I go heavy, it becomes a trap upper back exercise. I get this external rotation in the show. I've seen so many people do ro like laterals oh, like momentum this. Momentum starts to play a factor. Yeah. Hip hinging makes its way in. There's just a lot of things in the kinetic chain you may not be aware of unless you're really focused. And to pull the focus out of some of these types of exercises, you know, sort of defeats the purpose. You know what analogy I think of right away, and this will suck for people that don't play sports, Sal, or like golf oh, or damn. anything. Is that? <laughs> You're uh, I'll do my best. I mean, here I like how you you set the table with this, which is it's not. I'm not saying you can't go heavy on these exercises, or that they don't have value to go heavy. It's just some exercises lend themselves yes. to not going heavy. Well, this is how a golf swing is. If you've ever uh, ever tried, <laughs> I, I know this because yep. although I beat you guys at golf, <laughs> yeah, like we, we have I it mean, all recorded. Listen, I know, I know. The harder I, the, if I went hard, You're an anomaly, shit so. went out the window. Yeah, right. You would barely hit it or go off to the left or you. You'd miss it totally. or what that. He's using you, a driver for like, you, you know, a 50-yard 
pump. Yeah, you take a little you take a little half swing. <laughs> I still won. You take yeah. a little half swing and you focus on this this short range, perfect yes. control and just barely barely swing and the ball sails right where you want it to go. And then you get in there and you try and muscle it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you might hit it, but it don't go anywhere you want to. I think the same way when you're training a, a specific area. When I'm trying to target the rear delt and it's really easy for my traps and rhomboids and other parts of my body to to help me. Well, yeah, I could get something and just rip it up there. But then what ends up happening? All those other bigger muscles take over the movement. And now the area that I'm trying to focus on doesn't even get worked that much. I end up developing another part and it don't, I don't get the same yeah, benefit. Rear delt uh, flies is a great exercise. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone go heavy on a rear delt fly and it, and it look effective. Now I got to a place. I'm glad you said that because I actually did get to a place where I could rear delt fly pretty good way. Like I got up to 45, 50 pound dumbbells. Yeah, as a pro physique competitor. Yeah, okay. And, How much would you row at that weight? Yeah. And by the way, I wouldn't do that now. I was doing rear flies of the day with 15. So right. there's a major difference where I'm at today and where I was at there. But that's also, the, Tiger Woods also gets into the golf ball. Right, right, right. You know right. what I'm saying? He's he's practiced that that movement so much that he can just think about how he wants that to, and his mm -hmm. body is going to respond to it. And I think that's when you're ready to do maybe some of these types of movements, I think that lend themselves better for lightweight. It's not to say, like you said, there's not value in doing some exercises heavy, but man, you better have the ability to just to just be able to isolate that by thinking about it really well before you think about loading it on some of these yeah. movements. Curls is another one. I remember uh, a while ago, we I don't remember where we went. We went to go do a, a speaking engagement. This is, of course, before you know everything got shut down or whatever. And there was a picture of me working out and I've got my pump going on or whatever, and I'm curling. And, you know, one person comments, oh, that's all, he only curls 30-pound dumbbells or whatever. Obviously, it's some dude trying to, you know, mess with me or whatever. Troll. Yeah. But, you know, here's the deal. Like, I've been working out for a very long time. I mean, I can curl. If I want, I can go curl with 60-pound dumbbells, and I can kind of look like I'm okay. I don't get the same results curling 60-pound dumbbells that I would get with 35s. I just don't. With 35s, I can really get full extension. I can focus on the bicep. And it's just a better way of doing that exercise. I can go heavy, but it doesn't work as well when yeah. I go heavy. It's a better exercise when it's done light. Just like some exercises tend to be better when they're heavy versus when they're light. Like deadlifts. Like Can you do yeah. deadlifts light? You can if you're perfecting your form and doing all that stuff and you're trying to focus on a particular muscle. But generally speaking, deadlifts are a lower rep. Yeah heavier type of exercise. It's kind of silly. Yeah, it's, it is. It is, right? It's not nearly uh, as effective. Another one would be tricep press downs. How many times have you guys seen a dude put the whole stack for tricep press downs and yeah. it looks like a dip? Like he's not doing a, a, a tricep Yeah, he's extension. doing more shoulders he's and chest. He's and hunching it yeah. forward. Yeah. yeah, it looks like he's doing like a, like a decline chest press, right? Yeah. And he's so proud that he's using the whole stack, but you can get so much more benefit from doing it with lighter weight. I mean, I think this is pretty true. I'm trying to think right now an example of a single joint exercises that this doesn't apply to. I would say that most, Probably most sing, right? single joint movements lend themselves better with, with lighter weight. Mm -hmm. Again, there's there's always exceptions to the rule. If you've been training for a very long time, can you get does, just like your curl analogy. I agree. Does that mean that you can't get some good value from going really heavy on curls? Sure, you can if you have really good mechanics. If you know that when you go really heavy, you're not going to allow, allow the shoulder to roll forward and the anterior delt to take over 30% of the load. And then, because that's the part that you just got to understand like, okay, you might be doing 
uh, 30% more of the weight, but if now 30% of the load is being carried by the muscle that you weren't trying All to work out. All you is increase the risk of the exercise. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And and you're now you're developing an area that you weren't focusing on. So that's, that's the reason why I think there's certain exercises that lend themselves well uh, for lighter weight. Yeah, I think overall, understanding when it's appropriate to go heavy, when it's appropriate to go light, is one of the most important things you can learn about how to train your body. When you can really understand this, then you can maximize your exercises and your workout and minimize your risk injury and just get the best results. And just like we said in this uh, particular episode, uh, those are the seven reasons when going light is uh, definitely the best option. Look, if you like our information, you'll love our guide. So we have a bunch of free guides that we wrote and created for you guys and girls out there who want to learn more about your bodies, you want to build more muscle or burn more body fat or improve your mobility, you can find them all at mindpumpfree.com. You can also find all of us on Instagram. So Justin can be found at mindpumpjustin. I'm at Mind Pump Sal, and Adam is at Mind Pump Adam. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.